Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam. This is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And the Rambling Runner Podcast is brought to you by ASICS for all of 2024. Big shout out to ASICS today on my easy run coming back from a knee injury, which has now passed. Thank goodness. I'm really excited. About two weeks off from running. Ran in the Nova Blast 4. I love that shoe. The more miles I put into it, the softer the foam gets, the more responsive it gets. And as much as I liked it when I first put it on, I'm liking it even more now. This is one of those shoes that once you break it in, it really opens up. And I love this shoe so much. Go to ASICS.com today to check out not only the new releases like the Nova Blast 4 and the Nimbus 26, but some of the older releases too, which they have enormous sales on. They have the Evil Ride Speed which I love. It's super lightweight daily trainer or a fast day shoe. I got it on sale for like 60 bucks around Thanksgiving. It was an unbelievable deal. So I think they have the semi-annual sale going on right now. So go check them out today at asics.com. Now, today is the Road to the Trials episode with Sarah Vaughn. I couldn't wait to talk to Sarah. We hadn't talked since her run at Chicago, which she ran incredibly well. So let's get into my conversation with Sarah. All right, Sarah Vaughn is back on Road of the Trials. We were recording this on January 19th, almost exactly two weeks away from the Olympic Trials Marathon. Sarah, we have so much to talk about. Your training, your run in Chicago, so much stuff going on in your life. But before we get into your running, as fascinating as it is, we have to talk about the other runner in the family. Your daughter signed a letter, I think, letter of intent um, this past winter. This is so exciting. Can we dive into this a little bit? Because we've kind of we've touched on this a little bit over the past year, but we really haven't completely dove into this topic. Yeah, no, let's do it. We're super excited. All right. So talk to me about as a mom going through the recruiting process you know, through your, you know, you've done this before you've witnessed on, you know, a lot of the, uh, the recruiting processes, not only from a college perspective, but more importantly, like from the, the pros and the, the sponsors, you know, recruiting athletes and things like that. What was it like for you being kind of a fly on the wall for the recruiting process for your daughter? Yeah. I mean, kind of our general theory with her through her whole running career has to be as hands-off as possible. You know, we don't coach her, we don't overstep anything. And so same with this recruiting process, like we just really wanted it to be her decision because it's her experience. Um, She did luckily ask us our opinion on a lot of things. And, um, you know, we, I think guided her a little bit as much as, as she wanted us to, but when it came down to her making the decision, I think she just clicked best at NAU. Um, she loved the team. The coaches are great. I mean, behind the scenes, Brent and I were like high-fiving when she made that decision because we were like, yeah, that's going to be such a good fit for her. I think she's an altitude monster. So I think 7,000 feet is is awesome. And they're just good people. And I, it's, it's really, really nice to know that you're handing your kid off because she still is a kid, even though she's making adult decisions. Just, it's just so nice. Like I feel so calm and good about handing her off to those coaches and I felt that way about several coaches that she um, that she had the opportunity to talk with. So that part of it was really cool. Now, you said that you intended on being very hands-off in this process. Um, now, that's very different than what may have actually happened. What was it like when you actually were in the process? Because a lot of these coaches yeah. are contemporaries of yours. You may have run against yep. them in the past. You might have personal relationships with them, good or yep. bad or neutral. Like, What was it like actually being hands-off or trying to be hands-off in the process? <laughs> 
yeah, it was hard because I just mostly just wanted to chat with with a lot of them. <laughs> you know, um, I love Lori Hennis. I feel like uh, she's an awesome woman that I that I connect with, and and I would love to just like spend more time with her. So that was in the running, um, NC State, and yeah, you know, Shalane at Oregon was an awesome experience going to visit there. Um, but yeah, I've I've raced against Rachel. You know, probably several dozen times in the last decade and I thought that was cool too so yeah you know it's you're right it's one thing in theory uh in reality I did get to go on a trip with her to Louisville after Chicago that was pretty cool um but I really did just try to sit back and enjoy it as a parent I would kind of like find myself asking like in these coaching meetings asking more questions and then having to be like whoa Sarah step back, look at my kid and be like, what do you want to ask? What do you want to know, Kiki? Because this is about you. So um, hopefully I was helpful. Hopefully um, I, I tried to be the person I wish I had had throughout the recruiting process as far as knowing what questions to ask and stuff, but also had to balance like just really letting it be her. Right. Were there certain questions that you felt like as a parent who knows this space as well as anybody that you, that you, that you needed to ask, like you would have been a derelict of parental duty if you hadn't asked them. I'm thinking more of like athlete health and things like that. I think, you know, like Lauren Flushing's book has really shined a light on this. That, you know, people like you've known about this sort of stuff, North thing for two decades, but really bring mm-hmm. it to a public perspective of like athlete health, especially college track programs can be perilous at times, especially for female runners. So what were, yeah. I guess, how did you address those sorts of topics? If you wouldn't mind me asking. Yeah, I found myself asking more of those types of questions. You know, I think um, the natural inclination for maybe most coaches, athletes, parents is to get into like the training and the, the, you know, physiological details of stuff. And for me, and like, they're all good coaches. They've all got great results with um, with some pretty cool athletes. But for me, I, I found myself asking about team culture and, you know, safety nets. How do you catch, you know, what do you look for? Um, do you weigh your athletes? Do you talk to them about this? And just being really direct, um, because like you said, experiencing it and just being aware of it um, has definitely formed the questions that I, that I needed answered as a parent. And, you know, to be honest, I've always been pretty upfront with Kiki with my experience at college and what I know to be true. And so she knew those questions to ask too. And that's important to her too. You know, team culture, the first thing I mentioned about NAU with her was that she clicked with the team. I think being in an environment where she feels comfortable and feels like she can thrive was the top priority for her. And I, I hope that we've done a good job, you know, showing her that, that that's more important than the workouts or than the details of the workouts. Yeah. And when I was a college coach, I remember one of the things I would always tell prospective athletes and, you know, sometimes maybe it helped us, maybe it hurt us. But when I was recruiting, them, I was always say like, Hey, you've your finalist, like you're going to include, I was coaching basketball at the time. Like you're going to include basketball in that decision-making process, of course. Mm-hmm. But then once you have your final group, like the basketball is probably going to take care of itself or like, you're going to do what you need to do to take care of it. So that's when you take basketball off the, the table and then look at the academic piece and the social piece and the other aspects and financial, if that's part of the decision-making process for a family. Yeah. Like, how did you approach that with Kiki once, you know, obviously running is a major part of the decision, but it can't be the only part of the decision. So how did you approach that in the process as a, as a parent? Kind of the same way, like what you just said, she had it narrowed down. You know, I think I wanted the decision to be hers and not really have to factor in the financial piece. That's wishful thinking. We're not made of money. But I wanted her to um, come to an original conclusion that way first, and then we could figure out the financials. And so she narrowed it down to like three schools. And then we had to compare, okay, you'd have to take 
out alone if you went to this school. Um, this is a great opportunity, but it's third in your rankings. Or you could do this like this other opportunity, you know, very affordable. We have some money for her. She'd have to dip into that, but it wouldn't take up all of it. So it was just kind of a balance of all of those things. And when she was deciding between those final maybe three schools, um, I would coach her to just make up, like make a decision. We're not going to tell the coach yet, but I want you to go to bed. Having made this decision in your mind, wake up and see how it feels. And she did that with one school. And for the following couple of days, she was like, yeah, it just isn't sitting quite right. I'm still curious about this other one. So she did it with the next school. And she's like, yep, this is it. I know. And she called me later that day. She was driving home and she was like, yep, that's NAU. It's just, that's what feels right. So there we go. All right. Yeah. Last question. Um, I couldn't help but notice the august group of people commenting on her post. And I was like, I know all the names of these people because yeah, they're all yeah. like boulders, you know, elite, you know, elite and professional running crew. What is it like? in town you know in the boulder area like for someone like kiki or i'm assuming like kara's son doesn't have the same experience there's probably countless others as well where you have like the children of the professionals how supportive are the like your your peers with the children of 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 that group because it's it was amazing to witness like so many people commenting like oh my god look at these pro runners commenting on a college uh, uh decision yeah, it's been, I think it's been really fun for Kiki as she's gotten more into running. Um, and I don't, I, I hope it's not lost on her how unique and cool it is to grow up here. But I think even since she was little, all of these peers, um, you know, they've heard stories about her. They've met her at races. They've sung karaoke with her at the Fifth Avenue Mile after party. You know, they, they know her and they feel invested in some sense. I think some of them do. So it's been pretty cool. But yeah, I can think of so many examples of people who um, have been supportive and, and a special shout out to Nell Rojas because it's her alma mater. So she, um, she and Kiki got some coffee, I think, and, and chatted for a while. And um, Kiki kind of got to interview her during the process. So uh, yeah, it's been really cool. Oh, that is great. All right. Let's talk about you. All right. So Sarah, obviously you're going to be running the trials in two weeks, which is really exciting. You're dialing in from the car right now. Where are you right yeah. now? Are you in Florida or are you in Colorado? No, I'm in Colorado. I'm parked outside my son's preschool because I got to pick him up right after this. So I just. All right. So you when know, are you? To, so I when are you heading Florida down to Orlando? Next week. Yeah, next in week. a week from well, less than a week on Wednesday. Okay, so I just got off the phone with Nico Montanez, who was having the exact opposite experience because he has a very different family life than you do. He's been down there for a month because he learned his lesson. He learned his lesson from running the World Championships. So he went to Budapest eight days before, and yeah. it was not enough time. He like completely regretted his travel decisions. So in retrospect, he's like down in Orlando way ahead of time. So yeah. I will say this: maybe you know, I don't know if this is advice or not, but he did say that the, the weather forecasts in Orlando are great. He's like, whatever they say is going to happen, happens. He's like, it's the exact opposite of Boston. We're like 36 hours out. The forecast doesn't mean anything because it could probably change like 100, 180 different ways. But he said the forecast is actually right on point. But with all that being said, I don't know why I even asked that question. I guess I had to ask just because I should have asked it before we hopped on the call and pressed record. But let's go back to Chicago. So you ran, was it 223 in Chicago? Yep. Right. How did you feel going into that race and how, from execution standpoint, how did the race play out for you? Yeah, I felt really well. Um, it was, it was a really good buildup. It wasn't perfect, but, um, I felt like I, you know, it was my first buildup with new coaches. So every workout was new, different. I couldn't compare. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I found myself kind of 
wondering a lot of times where my fitness was because I didn't have any of these direct comparisons like I had in previous buildups. Um, but when it came down to it, you know, you sort of get a sense of what type of shape you're in or what pace feels comfortable, like you can hold for a long time. And I was really um, happy that Alistair, Amy, and I were all on the same page for expectations, which I feel like in the past hasn't happened a lot with coaches I've had. Um, usually I think I'm way faster than than other people think I am. So when we were writing, you know, when we were discussing the plan, um, it was really nice to know that they both thought I could run, you know, sub 224. Um, so that was right, right at the, um, that was a game plan from the beginning was to run 72 through the half um, and then try to pick it up the last 10K. I got a little antsy, saw my family, got excited, went a little early. Um, but I didn't, you know, I, I held on uh, and it was fine. And uh, I felt really good towards the end and, yeah, I mean, it was, it, as far as the execution of the race, it went a lot smoother than the previous year. Um, it was good to, like, have a huge PR, good momentum, um, definitely helped with the confidence more than anything. Right, we should say it's Amy and Alistair Craig. You referenced, referenced on a previous yeah. podcast about, you know, your move to them as coaches. Now, coming off of Boston, which was a DNF for you, how how important was the confidence piece or did you were you going to have the confidence either way as a, a veteran of the sport who's you know been in a lot of races and you know proven yourself time and time again? I think I needed it to go well, so I feel like we were slightly conservative with things. Um, you know, seventy two through the half felt felt really good, and I was kind of chomping at the bit at that point. So you know, I think someday uh, they'll they'll say, "Hey, just go for it, take some risks," but that was not that was not the plan um, for this year in Chicago. It was to get to the last 10 K and be able to pick it up and feel good and maybe pick a few people off, which happened. I think, you know, I passed several people over the last 10 miles. So um, yeah, that, you know, it was conservative up front, but I did need it to go well to have some confidence. All right. So if I had told you two years ago that you'd run a conservative Chicago marathon and run a 223 in the process, how would you feel about that result? You know, I think every, year six months or even like every marathon buildup that I go through my um my reference point changes a little bit so I think you know to answer your question I would have been like wow that's really cool like that's maybe considering I started the marathon journey just hoping to qualify for the trials um I, I would I would be ecstatic but now I'm like oh you know you know every time you make a little jump even especially when it feels good in a house you just want to go for it a little more and you want to see what else you can do. So I was trying to carry that forward into this build for the trials. Just maybe just get in super good shape, maybe even a little bit better than 223 shape and, and see where that lands me. So yeah, all it's all about perspective though. There you go. All right. So Chicago was a huge PR. What was the recovery like coming off of a PR like that? I felt really good. Um, I ran, so I went straight to Louisville with Kiki to visit um, the university there and ran with her a few times that helped kind of shake things out. Took. Can you keep, fairly... can you keep up with her on the shorter distances now, Sarah? Is that a difficult thing at this point or can you, was, you still have the pep in your step? I, I cannot keep up with her on like fast stuff anymore. Oh. No, 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 no. She's, well, I mean, maybe, maybe if I like, gave it some effort for a few weeks but in the middle of marathon training no way um i did pace her actually before i started my chicago build or maybe like a couple weeks in i paced her and addie ritzenhein in a two mile that was so fun because i was like 
these oh my god that kids is awesome. you know i've known addie since she was a baby and obviously my baby they're just i got to pace them like a mile and a half or whatever and it was it was so cool but anyway um when we run together she legitimately drops me sometimes like i will be fully honest about that like going up a hill and she just feels good and she's like leaves me in the dust so i'm assuming there must be at points you must have pride there but you're also a very competitive person other points you must be like oh hell no like it's you don't get dinner tonight kiki this is not gonna stand (laughs) exactly Exactly. yeah for sure all right quick break for my conversation with sarah vaughn to talk about two sponsors that i absolutely love Our podcast today is brought to you by V.O2, a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach Jack Daniels. Unlike most other running apps, V.O.T. is truly personalized, understands the type of runner you are, what you're aiming for, what you're training for, and how to maximize your effort. It gives you a more, basically gives you more control over your training, gives you feedback, and it really enhances the way that you can get data out of your training. And that's what I love so much about this system overall and the Jack Daniels stuff uh, in general. Like I, I think a lot of people in the coaching space have learned so much from Jack Daniels and all that is embedded in the app. And once you do, you know, basically find out exactly where you are in terms of your fitness, whether it's through a 5k, a 10k or a test, like a time trial, it can really dial in the kind of paces you should be doing for all types of efforts, whether that's easy pace, marathon effort, all the way down to interval and VDOT sessions, not I'm sorry, VDOT sessions, but via VO2 max sessions, which can be really helpful. So if you want to give it a try, go to v.o2.com today. Also get 20% off by using code rambling at checkout and you get a 14 day free trial to see if it's for you. Also want to give a shout out to our other sponsor, the For the Long Run podcast with my good friend, Jonathan Levitt. You're listening to this, a Road to the Trials episode. He's doing his own Road to the Trials episodes, but he's partnering with Wazell, and it is a really fun series. In fact, I had another episode out today, episode 301 with Elena Heyday. Go check that out. They have a fantastic series going on. They're partnering with Wazell. Go check out Jonathan this podcast for the long run wherever you get your podcast now let's get back to my conversation with sarah all right so as you were progressing through again this would be your second cycle with the craigs getting ready for a marathon mm-hmm. as you're going through that process obviously being top three is the goal for everyone at your level going into this race with that said is there a certain time range that you guys had looked at like okay in order for this to happen i'd have to be in xyz shape in order to make that a reality or is that not part of the conversation we haven't really discussed that directly um but i think it's pretty obvious that you have former american record holder current american record holder a couple other you know 220 and low 220 um performers that that's probably going to take that kind of shape to make the team it might not take that time on the day but we understand that you have to maybe have those gears and those wheels and that fitness um to make it happen so in my mind that's what i've been training for is you know 220 shape um yeah and and i i yeah i'm 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 not scared of that pace anymore you know that used to sound really really scary to me i mean anything faster than five 30s sounded scary but now you know approaching that getting more comfortable with that um yeah i I think i'm nearing that okay and how about from a health standpoint how healthy have you been post chicago in terms of being able to maintain the 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 workout schedule and things of that nature yeah body wise i've felt great um you know 
basically jumped right uh, back into training after Chicago, a pretty short break compared to what I'm used to, um, and went great for six weeks. Like, didn't feel like I lost anything, was hitting workouts, you know, better than expected. And then, like, the week before Christmas, I got influenza A, didn't run for maybe 12 days. Um, I tried to run a few days in those two weeks. Um, and then just it turned into bronchitis, which turned into a sinus infection. It was rough. It was a rough three or Did you four have to weeks. go on antibiotics? I did um, a couple weeks in. I did. Uh, yeah, because it was, it was obviously it was viral uh, in the beginning. Nothing I could do but rest. And it was, I, I truly don't recall ever being that sick in my life. It was, it was really rough. Um, <laughs> but it's going around. And, you know, I know Kellen Taylor is dealing with it. You know, she and I have been communicating. She's like maybe about a week ahead of me when, when, when she got it. And we had very similar symptoms. And it's taken her about equally as long to get over it as well. Um, I know that I tried to train through it the first couple of days because my kids got it first and they weren't that sick. So I thought, oh, it's just a cold, this 24 mile run that's on the schedule. I'm going to, I don't feel great, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, that was a mistake. And I Health is I wasted on the youth, Sarah. I know. Health I is know. wasted on the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a bit of a rookie mistake. I just, I was feeling it in my lungs a little bit and I should have just taken oh, the day off. But on yeah. the other hand, I was like, we're six weeks out. It's go time. I got to But you're also workout. a professional athlete. Like, pushing through discomfort is literally your business. So it's it must so be hard, hard to, to know. know where to draw the yeah, line. It is. It's so hard to know. And I do, I do regret that one, but I'd already pushed it back a day because I'd been taking care of David who was sick. And I was just like, I just want to get it done. Um, so uh, about 15, 16 miles into that, I strongly regretted it. I hobbled home and basically didn't get out of bed for a week. Oof. Um, yeah. All right. So what we're about... <laughs> Let's see here. A couple of weeks out from you, yeah. guess gaining health, I assume. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. how are things progressing over the last week to ten days? Yeah, it's been pretty good. I don't, I don't think I'll have a big long taper like I usually do. Um, I still, you know, had a pretty tough workout this morning. Um, I'll have a workout on Sunday. I'll probably do more like a ten day or a week taper. Um, you know, still hit 120 plus miles last week, so. We're going to hold hold on a little bit longer than normal to try to squeeze out a little bit more, but not do anything crazy. It, it just took a long time for me to even like feel back to normal, even when I was running. So it wasn't so much that I felt like maybe the fitness is gone. It was just that like it, it wasn't clicking, like I wasn't breathing normally. And I don't know, it just didn't feel right. So it took a few more weeks to even get back to baseline. But now that I'm there, you know, I've, I've hit a few solid workouts and confidence is slowly coming back and you know I 10 days 12 days whatever it was even if you want to call it two weeks of like not doing workouts it was like in the whole scheme of things not that long <laughs> it wasn't that and my body's still working I I was still you know trying to run a little bit here and there so I think my body just needed the rest and you know, partly what, what you're saying with recovery from Chicago, going straight back into another buildup. I'd never done that before. So I just think I needed, I just needed more rest. Um, so trying to make the most of it. There you go. All right. Looking at race day from a strategy perspective and, you know, share whatever you can share uh, or feel comfortable sharing, but do you imagine it being like you, you know, you and the other women who are competing for the the um, the top three, just kind of like going out and, and and sticking with sticking with the leaders, or do you see yourself maybe pacing off certain people? Like, how are you envisioning the race playing out, and how much of that 
visualization and determinations are based on looking at past trials? I think it's going to be a lot different than past trials. You know, I think um, even going back to like when Amy won and, and before that, when Shalane uh, won, they were kind of clear favorites, or at least the top two or three were kind of the clear favorites. I truly think a dozen women, you could, you could pick three out of a dozen um, that have, that have a really good shot and, and wouldn't shock me if, if they made the team. So, you know, I don't know. I think there's going to have to be some on my feet decision-making if moves are made, whether I go with it or not. And I also just haven't really um, hashed this out with my coaches yet, but I, I would like to just get a feel for, you know, if the decisions are going to be made, pace out the window, who cares how I feel, just go for it. If, or if we're going to kind of say, okay, well, this is the type of shape I'm in. Let's just try to go run that and, and not go over the red line to give yourself a shot that way. I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, right. And how, and yeah, how we'll do see. you envision weather playing a part? Obviously if it, the weather's nice, then that, then it's not going to play a part, but say it's a warmer day. So I was just talking to Nico. He said, sometimes it's 42 at 10, 10, sometimes mm-hmm. it's 71 at 10, 10. He's like, right. honestly, it, it, I've seen both over the last three weeks. He's like, so if it's a 71 and it's 81% humidity, how does that, not just for this race in general, but just generally, not for this race specifically, but generally speaking, how does that kind of weather factor into decisions that are made from a strategy perspective and from a pacing perspective or even responding to early moves and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've only ever raced a 1500 <laughs> <laughs> so I did really well that day though. Can we just extrapolate um, that out to 26 miles? <laughs> I think, you know, like based on my experience there, bring on the heat. It was fine. You know, I'm thinking of Sacramento and they were like frying eggs on the track. Um, that you don't day. even need a so, warm up if it's that hot. You can it, just step right up. That's true. There. Exactly. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with the heat in general. I've been doing all the protocol and, I'm pretty familiar with my treadmill at this point in my 70 degree home. Um, and we've had a humidifier going. So, you know, I've just been trying to do everything I can to, to prep myself here in Colorado for, for worst case scenario. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know how to answer that question yet. Cause I'll just do what my coaches tell me. I will say this cause we're talking about it, like decision-making and I'm, I'm good at that. Obviously I'm a mom. They, moms make like thousands of decisions a day. I can handle decision-making during a race but I think at the end of of the day that leaves me craving like someone just to tell me what to do <laughs> so I mean that's going to be my approach so I'm just right. be like Amy Alistair just just tell me what to do I don't want to have to think too much I mean I'll make a decision if I have to but I'd rather not that's great. I've, I've heard of decision fatigue and I've certainly experienced yes. decision fatigue in my life. I've never seen decision fatigue manifest itself into race strategy but I love the fact that it has because I've no, certainly been yeah. there yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't want to, I mean, Amy, Amy's won one of these not that long ago. So I right. just want her, you know, taking her experience, Alistair's experience. I, I trust them fully at this point. Um, last time I didn't listen to them, I think it cost me a little bit. So I just, I just want, I just want to listen to them. <laughs> I love That's it. That's their job. I love it. All right. Speaking of the field, um, one thing that is a significant issue that happened, issue, but a uh, significant announcement that happened over the last couple of weeks was that Emma Bates will not be running the trials because of an injury she sustained at Chicago, where you also raced. When you have someone who is clearly at the, you know, no one is guaranteed a spot. Everyone has to race 
but she was clearly going to be one of the favorites to make the mm-hmm. team. I think that is a, 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 um, a well-founded statement. So when someone in that position drops out of the race, what does it feel like, you know, for you as someone who's you know, also looking to get there? And what was it like just in as someone who lives in one of the endurance meccas of America? Like, what was what was it like to hear that news? And I'm sure it wasn't surprising because we all saw her get hurt on national television. But at the same time, like, what was it like when you heard that? And what were some of the initial reactions that you had to what that means for the race? Yeah, it was a huge bummer. I, I was pretty sad. Um, I I like her as a person and a friend. And so just personally, I was sad for her because I'm sure that was a heartbreaking decision. Um, and also the flip side, you know, even if I didn't know her personally, I, it's, it's sad that, you know, I don't get an opportunity to race the best again. So, um, yeah. And, and like we were, we were talking earlier, I think her in particular in a championship style race would have been really good for team USA. Like, I think she would have just increases, increased our chances at a medal again. So, um, yeah, it's just on a lot of levels. I'm super bummed for her. Gotcha. All right. Well, Sarah, I can't wait to see you race in person down in Orlando and to talk to you after the fact. This is going to be really exciting. Congratulations on Chicago, Kiki's announcement, and everything that's happened since. Sarah, best of luck to you at the trials. Thanks, Matt.